0: Thanks so much for tuning in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Robin Anir about the history of second and capitalism and op shops. Welcome to the program.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Beth. Good to be here.
0: Could you give us some uh, background information about yourself?
1: Yeah, um, I've been writing uh, books of history for About 25 years, the first one I wrote was Bear Brass, which was a history of early Melbourne before the gold rushes. And it was just one of those things where I had an idea and I thought, you know, if I'm interested in this, I'm going to bet that somebody else will be. And it turned out I was right. So I've just kept on doing that. Um, So I've written, this is my sixth book, Nothing New, History of Secondhand. And I've uh, I've also got a history podcast called Nothing on TV. Which uh, looks at Trove historic newspapers and picks out five stories that uh, reflect on a time when, as I say, there was there really was nothing on TV. Um, so, just amazing stories from usually from Australia's past, um, and that's sort of what I do. So I'm um, I've got no training in history. I'm just an enthusiast, I guess.
0: Oh, that's great. No, it's certainly a lot of books it's in. 25 years well done yeah yeah yep so what was yep. it that inspired you to study about the history of secondhand
1: uh, well I reckon you can probably guess and that is that I really I really like secondhand um I seemed to at least to lockdown I seemed to spend half my time in op shops just you know I couldn't I can't pass an op shop without going inside and it's just um it's I, I guess it's a retail experience like no other because it's, it's really like a, a, um, a, dis- a, a program of discovery, you know, it's a serendipity. You don't know what kind of shop you're going into, really. You don't know what will be inside. Um, so it's not like any other kind of shopping experience. I don't even think of it that way, but I'm aware that, of course, <laughs> it probably is part of um, the shopaholicism of, um, of our society. But I. Uh, yeah, I try and keep that on the low down by um, confining my shopping largely to second hand. So it came out of that enthusiasm uh, and a question that came to me once a couple of years, a few years ago now where, you know, what was the origin of op shops? Where did they begin? Where was the first op shop? And so delving into that led me into, you know, many byways um, of history going back far further than the origins of the first op shop and led me to. Um, Led me to a whole book on the history of secondhand.
0: Right, that's my next question. (laughs) Uh, 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 Could you tell us about uh, the history of op shops and how they came about?
1: Well, op shops, as such, so as actual opportunity shops. Opportunity shops are uniquely Australian, uh, and the first opportunity shop was held in Melbourne um, in 1925. It was a fundraiser to um, build a new x-ray wing for uh, St Vincent's Hospital in Victoria Parade in uh, Fitzroy. And uh, in the old building that was there, a circular building called the Cyclorama, where they used to show these kind of moving dioramas in the era before there were movies, uh, this building was going to be pulled down and uh, a new wing of the hospital built in its place but they had to raise the money first of course to do so so they had a whole program of fundraising which involved you know car rallies and and telephonists competitions whatever that was and footy footy uh, matches and all sorts of things and um, one of the women on the fundraising committee whose name was lady millie tallis was just back from a, a, a motoring tour of um, america and the continent with her husband uh, and uh, she had noticed these charitable second-hand shops in both those parts of the world, and had been quite taken with them. And in France, they were called uh, magasin d'occasion. D'occasion meaning bargain, bargain shops. Um, but the another uh, another translation of occasion from French is opportunity. And she used that alternative translation and said, "Let's call it an opportunity shop." So it was like a big jumble sale in this old Cyclorama building, but it went on for three or four months instead of just the usual afternoon or perhaps sometimes two days a jumble sale would run for. And this was like a rolling jumble sale that went on and on. And from this original opportunity shop, which was a huge success and fundraiser, um, quite a few other op shops um, sprang up. And they usually were held... um, over months and sometimes years, but from shop to shop, as vacant shops became available in a shopping strip in a suburban area or a town, um, an op shop might, uh, might get free occupancy until, uh, until a lessee was found. So this is how op shops um, flourished and began and flourished.
0: Now, when I was young, I was out with a friend and my mother and my mother said, Oh, I'll just pop in here. <laughs> she went into an op shop and I oh, was just so embarrassed in front of my friends. <laughs> and my friend said, Oh, your mother's gone in there with all those dirty secondhand clothes. Uh. <laughs> I was just I was just absolutely mortified, but <laughs> it's funny to look back on, but things have really changed now and they're quite trendy, aren't they?
1: Oh, yeah, they're huge. They're they're absolutely mainstream, especially for Uh, You know, younger generations. Um, I mean, I was—I remember, you know, going to my first op shop when I was in my mid-teens, so I'm talking about the mid-1970s, and I was completely unaware of any stigma. Um, Admittedly, there weren't a lot of people shopping there, but that was good from my point of view. Um, And I introduced my mum to them. So she was a woman who grew up during the Depression, and you'd think she might have that stigma because a lot of her clothes were bought at that time secondhand but she was actually delighted. So, I mean, I had some good luck in... But I mean, so did you, really. It sounds like your mum was a keen, keen op shopper, but I never had a sense of, of that stigma. But, you know, there are still people around, and it's a, I don't know if it's a personality thing or something from their upbringing, uh, but there are people for whom crossing the threshold of an op shop will, will always be a step too far. You know, people have talked to me in the process of writing and publicising this book. I've heard people say... I cannot stand the smell of op shops and things like that I'm I'm completely oblivious to any such smell in fact if I do recognize it's a smell I love that smell so um, you know I like dead peoples stuff I have no no qualms um, and no concerns about that but it it's it has been a real thing for people for people of my mum's generation let alone generations before that where the taint of charity attached itself to secondhand for a good two or three generations, I guess, from the, the late 19th century. Um, you know, that was, that was a real, there was a real stigma and it grew up just around that time from the 1870s onwards when, when secondhand became synonymous with charity. Before that, secondhand was pretty much something that everybody indulged in, you know, because uh, buying new uh, was not for most people an option. Uh, it was only as goods became, uh, you know, mass-produced goods became cheaper. Uh, and people and, and, and the marketing efforts, I guess, started going into getting people to turn over their clothes uh, more quickly and and the whole fashion cycle uh, became faster. so this was the origin of fast fashion in the mid nineteenth century. You know those stigmas date back to them, and those st- the stigma around secondhand was largely created as a uh, you know as a byproduct uh, and a conscious byproduct of of the capitalist you know, agenda, I have to say.
0: Oh yes, well it certainly would be. So can second hand overturn global capitalism?
1: Um no I would say no, only if global capital- capitalism were already on its knees. Um uh you know, large um, Large clothing chains and so on um, give lip service to recycling because they can see that, especially for upcoming generations, millennials and youngers, younger, younger, um, there is cachet um, and and ethical concerns around uh, around recycling. And some of those larger chains give lip service to it and say, you know, you can bring back your old jeans and put them in our recycling thing, and we will make new garments of them and stuff like this. But it's 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 to me, as far as I'm concerned, it will never be any more than a gesture because where is the money in that? I mean, you know, I just can't see how it's going to it's going to suit um, a bo- the bottom line to uh, to encourage any you know recycling at a large scale or um, or secondhand uh, on a large scale. So you know, secondhand up until the mid 19th century was part of the normality of recycling. They used to say there's no such thing as waste and literally everything down to the the dirt from your hearth, the ashes from your hearth, were recycled and made into something something new and reusable. Um, unless, you know, capitalism is brought to its knees and we have to um, um, make sure there's no such thing as waste and recycle everything, um, no, secondhand is not going to overturn Global capitalism, as far as I can see, for all that there may be a wish out there on some people's part that it will.
0: Yeah, maybe it's just a, you know, a bit of a thorn in capitalism's side, really.
1: Recycling. Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they'll put us, I mean, they will put a, a marketing spin on, you know, where they can, uh, because there, there is capital to be made from having that association, ethical association. But uh, no, there's not a lot of money in it.
0: Our grandparents' days, I mean, things were really made to last. I mean, furniture was made to last, TVs and all other electrical goods were really made to last. And nowadays, I mean, if your TV broke down, it would probably cost more to have it repaired than to buy a new
1: one. And
0: how does this affect secondhand?
1: Um, yeah, good question. Um, those things like your TV breaking down and so on, I mean, it, you know, it's it's a goner basically um, because uh, op shops and so on won't, won't accept them. But um, certainly uh, the faster cycles, not just of the fashion that we wear, but the fashion in furnishings and homewares and um, all the rest of it that, uh, you know, that is imprinted on us from not just um, sales flyers and stuff we see online, but of course, you know, those reality shows about um, doing up your 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 house, um, all that stuff you know ends up in op shops. So it's it's definitely improving the bottom line of op, of the op shop charities and getting more stuff through those places. And of course, it's you know it's creating um, a bigger market, There's more and more reuse as a result. So it's a strange thing that the the fast fashion cycle is creating uh, a more thriving second hand industry. But um, but you know it is it's still it's still a vicious. A vicious cycle because that stuff is being produced and being thrown away in whatever way, whether it's landfill or um, or up shop or whatever, it's being thrown away um, ever faster. But I mean that um that faster turnover, you know, it happened in the in the early 20th century that the switch was kind of flicked on. Well, on household appliances, which were really just coming into being, radiograms, for instance, and cars um, originally were built. Uh, to last and their manufacturers imagined a household would buy one or a person would buy a car and keep it forever possibly until it broke down. They were built to last. But they pretty quickly learned that <laughs> it wasn't a healthy way to run a business. You actually wanted people to be chucking their thing out while it was still working um, or passing it on, selling it secondhand and uh, and buying a brand new one. So that was when the idea of new features and new fandangled whatevers um, uh, you know, a new model every season or even more of it um, came in and people were definitely attracted to the idea of the latest model. Um, and so that was when the thing started of um, handing things on, selling things on or throwing them away while they still had plenty of use left in them. Could you explain about mending versus ending? <laughs> well, I have a whole chapter in the book about um, the idea of... Um, of thrift and re, repurposing things. And that was a big movement uh, that probably reached its heights in the, during the First World War and just before the First World War and, that, and certainly before the 1920s. Um, it, it, so the idea, usually it was a, a woman's thing to remake clothing and make it go through as many different uses for as many different members of the family as possible. So when Dad went through the knee of his pants, you would Cut them off for you know junior and all the rest of it. Things would be, and the, and there was um, it was seen as a real credit to a housewife, to a woman, to be um, to be good at this, to be an exemplar of this sort of thrifty behaviour. But again, looking to the nineteen twenties, this there was a lot of pressure on people to overturn that idea that having buying something new for your family was actually a lot more desirable and reflected better on you and your family and your husband's earning capacity than you being a good mender who could extend the life of all the things that came into your house. So, you know, again, there was, I mean, I sound like I'm talking about conspiracies and I guess, you know, capitalism is the uh, is the conspiracy that underlies all the others. But, um, you know, it was a conscious thing to, to unplug people, uh, women in particular, from that idea of thriftiness and it being um, a virtue. Uh, it was given a, um, um, a shot in the arm during the Second World War where there were these, <clears throat> these huge recycling drives um, and women played a huge role. It was an industrial operation here in Britain and the US and elsewhere to recycle every possible thing either to uh, to make new versions of them uh, for the military or to use them to make stuff for the military or to raise money for uh, stuff to send over to the soldiers and so on. So there was a great, again, that was seen as a great virtue uh, at t- in times of war, but very quickly after the Second World War, as soon as rationing and the rest of it wound up, um, the, the, the buy new industry um, went into overdrive. So um, thrift and mending versus ending, um, have um, have had seasons of fashion, and where they've been a virtue. But uh, I mean, the actual term men, um, "mending and ending" comes from I, I quote from Brave New World, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, where some of the uh, recorded um, um, aphorisms, which used to be imprinted on babes, even in the cradle, in the in the nurseries, in that uh, in that dystopian. Um, uh, society, as well as um, on adults, was um, better better ending than mending, and that people were not just encouraged, forcibly encouraged, to to have new things. Um, so that was very much pointing pointing in the direction that our society was actually going in at that time, the 1930s.
0: Yeah, on the internet, there's quite a few free cycle sites and. Mm. Um, which which is quite incredible because I was I was faced once with um, uh, when I moved into my property, there was a lot of concrete in the backyard, and I wanted oh, yeah. greenery, so I got somebody in to to cut it up into slabs and remove it. And a friend of mine said, "You know, you're not going to take that to the tip, are you? It's going to cost you a fortune because yeah. they're going to charge you for the weight." And I yeah. thought, "Well, what on earth am I going to do with <laughs> slabs of concrete?" And I advertised them on Freecycle. and yeah. they were sort of. Um, I, I did. I did three three lots. There were so there were three lots of these concrete slabs, and yeah. came along with their trailer and and picked them up. So with the last woman, she emailed me and said, "Oh, thanks very much for that." And I said, "Well, do you mind if I ask you what you were <laughs> use it for? Because I really couldn't think of any use for it." Yeah,
1: and, and what
0: was well, it? Well, she said she had. Uh, they had a country property. And when they um, take the sheep into the shearing shed, uh, often it it would have been raining, they were sort of deep in mud. And she said it was just something to actually stand on (laughs) so that their feet were dry uh, (laughs) while they were in there. And I thought, wow, that is absolutely incredible. And she was so grateful to get get my rubbish, which I was really happy to pass on to somebody and not, and then to avoid tip fees as well. So yeah. It was a real win win situation, so I suppose. Absolutely,
1: what a great bit of matchmaking! Not just that you thought or were given the idea of advertising, but that she obviously had the idea of of looking there, of, of you spotting it. What that's a yeah, that's, a that's right. Because you wouldn't think, oh gee, I need some oh, second hand, <laughs> glab- maybe I'll just have a poke through free Oh, <laughs> there's one there, good, great. But I mean, that's that 's really heartening Beth to hear that kind of story and to hear about free cycle which, which I hear stories from um, a lot that you know this you can see this is a return in spirit to this this idea of there's no such thing as waste that one person's um, rubbish is another one's you know if not treasure at least something that they that's really useful to them and it just if that kind of consciousness um, is is if there's just that pause before something is taken to the tip, or let alone I live in the country, dumped in the bush or whatever. Um, if there's just that thought and that possibility, well, look, I might as well put it out there. Somebody might want it. Who knows? You know. So if there's this additional kind of hesitation before something's um, thrown away, I just think that's a, a really terrific step in the right direction. I mean, it's kind of a step backwards to a to a former time, but it's. Um, you know, it, yeah. If we can keep stuff out of landfill, that's got to be such a good thing. Yeah, you well,
0: know, it even worked with a a bamboo bush that I had in the front yard. And it really? Just, yeah. Look at Jess Wilson. I thought, look, I really don't want that bamboo bush there. Yeah. It, it was a really nice bush, and I thought, look, I I really don't want to kill it, or mm-hmm. pay to have somebody come in and dig it up and take it away. Yeah. So I yeah. I advertised it first of all on FreeCycle. No one was interested, so I put it on eBay. 99 yeah. cents and <laughs> a fellow came along he came in you know with his work clothes on and his shovel because i said buyer to remove and yeah. he came in with his shovel dug it all out even filled the fantastic. holes back in for me wow then he left two dollars in my letterbox <laughs> <laughs> so i got a hundred percent profit <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> i mean it, it's but a I different mean, way of thinking isn't it you've got to sort is. of think outside the square so you can do exactly this with Yep. And
1: and I mean what you're saying when you talk about thinking outside the square in a different way of thinking you're thinking you're talking about well what they call conscious consumerism I mean it works both ways it works with the selling as well as the buying and it's a creative kind of way of of thinking about getting the things you need or getting rid of the things you need to get rid of um, and I really like that it's one of the things I like about op shops is you know it it's a kind of creative act going in there and going well I know I'm not going to probably find the exact thing that i need but you know how can i adapt so that adaptability and that how can i do that that, you know that creative problem solving and that conscious consumerism is is a real step in the right direction so you know i know it's much more native to generations younger than me and that's really heartening i think it you know it definitely takes us in the right direction but you know it's still you know we're still up against um people who want to make money from us buying new things but i think you know i think it's dragging that uh the the box in the right direction
0: well even i had a a new fence built and
1: he the fellow came and quoted
0: me on uh the removal and tip fees to throw away the old fence which was actually quite a nice picket fence it just wasn't high enough so yet, yet again i i put that on on ebay and i like I got a few hundred dollars for it, which I actually yeah. couldn't believe. And I mean, <laughs> you know, but when, when you, and three people came out with their shovels because it was buyer to remove again,
1: yeah, yeah, you know,
0: came and, and dug it all out. And
1: no, that's a brilliant idea. It,
0: it's it's, it's a different, that. I think, if you try and have a different sort of mindset about, you know, anything really, you know, even yeah. if an old clothesline or, you know, yep. because a lot of people love vintage now, or Absolutely. even if anything's broken to even advertise it. You know, yeah. I've seen a lot of broken things that have been advertised and the next thing, you know, it's in the <laughs> it's like they've gone. Somebody wants to give them a home and, and repair yeah. it. Yep. So it is quite incredible. You know, it's only, it's, it's up to your imagination really what you can actually uh, do and what you can actually keep out of, out of landfill. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah you what say, you
0: find. One person's trash is another person's treasure.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's just the way to think about it. Like you with your concrete, you couldn't imagine who could find a use for it, but there you go. What a surprise. So is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? Not much. I'm, I mean, this book has drawn me into an interest in, like I I didn't start it off, I certainly didn't start off to, to write a political tract and I haven't, I haven't done so. It's meant to be just an entertaining read. But I tell you, it's taken me more and more into the direction of reading about a history of consumerism and, and, uh, you know, there's some terrific, there's a great old book called A History of Shopping, which I've read, published in the 1960s, and just um, the insights into, you know, the idea that that retail once upon a time wasn't even a thing. There was only, you only acquired or uh, dealt in such stuff as you produced yourself. And needed to exchange to you know to flesh out your household or to food your family's stomachs and that anybody who came in to a market for instance a town market to sell um retail to sell stuff they hadn't produced themselves and that was they'd perhaps bought as somebody else's excess and were planning to make um, a profit on was seen as profiteers and it was you know really frowned upon i'm talking about a time you know before the 17th century 18th century i guess but uh, it's just such a different way of thinking. And, you know, just casting myself into um, you know, those different ways of thinking about, about buying and selling and, uh, and what, con- you know, what consuming has become compared to what it was really, you know, draws you again to thinking about um, different ways of consuming, as we've been talking about with the whole free cycle thing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's altered my way of thinking. Um, the process of writing this book and the further reading I've done as a result of
0: that yeah well it's certainly certainly very interesting and, and hopefully people listening will think up different ideas to recycle things that they hadn't thought of recycling
1: before. yeah well you're but, an inspiration Beth
0: <laughs> yeah, oh thank you thank you, very much. you are. I just think I'm creative and and I try and yeah. save money as well
1: so <laughs> yeah yeah no no that's the way to
0: go that's what gives me my inspiration. So. Oh, it's been great having you on the program. Thanks very much. Thanks for,
1: thanks for the opportunity.
0: I've been speaking with Robin Adir about um, op shops and capitalism. Well, that's all we have time for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program. I've certainly enjoyed your company. And do stay tuned for Swing and Sway.